Well, good morning. Good to see everybody today. Did you have a good week? Mostly so. One person had a really good one. Okay, good. We'll take we'll take one. That's good. Yeah, we we had kind of an up and down week in our family. You know, we we took our our second child Amy back to her last semester at Virginia Tech and our third child Colin to his first semester at Virginia Tech. So, a little bit of emotion with that, a little bit of up and down. You would think maybe I'd ask for prayer for my kids, you know, that just went to school or or for Karen or I, but actually I I would encourage you pray for Randy. Uh, our fourth. It's been 21 years since Karen and I just had one child. And we've got a lot of parenting energy to, you know, to pour out. And he's now the sole recipient of that. I mean, you know, you got to do something with all this parenting. I was at a uh, a wedding rehearsal Friday night and I'm, I'm sitting at the table. And of course, I always feel good about the people that get stuck sitting with the pastor. But uh, Karen, so Karen's on one side of me, and this cute little bridesmaid is on the other side of me, and, and we start to, to eat dinner, and uh, I look over at her, and I say, put your napkin in your lap. So I don't know where that came from. I've never... she, and she did. She put it in her lap. She didn't ask any more questions. She just did, just did that, you know. So anyway, hey, turn with me to James chapter 1 today as we're continuing our series, Faith in Gear. Uh, this, this message, this series where James is challenging, encouraging you and I to take what we believe, this faith that we say we have, and, and get it moving, get it in gear, flesh it out, live it out. It's not just something that goes on inside our head, it's something to be coming out in life. And as we do that, uh, man, we get, we get knocked down, don't we? And so we, we finished last week, or I say we finished, the week, I kind of use this verse as a, a thread to run through the whole message, but verse 18 it says, man, God's telling a story. God's doing a work. And you're the product of that. And, and you being the product of that means you are more loved by God than you can possibly grasp, possibly imagine. And we needed that encouragement because as we start moving into life with faith, uh, we're going to get hit. We're going to get jacked up. Chapter 1, verse 2, by trials. Chapter 1, verse 13, by temptations and so by time we hit verse 17, man, we're, we're licking our wounds a little bit. We're, we're picking ourselves up the ground trying to get the dirt off and maybe filling some bruises. And, you know, maybe as you and I are feeling down on ourselves, not sure if we can do this. That's where James comes along and says, hey, man, God's writing a story. You're right in the heart of it. You're, you're loved by God. Let's keep going. Now, what was an encouragement last week? That simple truth of God writing a story. This week becomes a challenge. Now the challenge is, hey, am I actually joining God in the story? Am I cooperating in the story that, that God is writing? You know, I, I, we all love stories. We all have our favorite stories. This is a very special story in our household, Batman. And uh, this isn't just any Batman story. This isn't just any Batman book because, you know, superheroes, a lot of times they have sidekicks, right? The sidekick doesn't seem like a very lofty term, does it? But, but it's cool to be in there with the, the superhero doing the work. And what makes this book so special is the sidekick is like no other. You'll notice here, well, here it is in the story. Colin is the sidekick. As a matter of fact, just to make sure that, that this isn't just any Colin, the first page actually says Colin Hahn was going there to be with, with Batman. So we, Karen got this book. This is fun. I, I guess you can get all kinds of stories, superhero books or Thumbelina or something, I don't know. But personalized children's books. So you order the story 
You tell them your child's name and then they write your, your child's name into the story. Well, you can imagine, we gave this to Colin in, in 2000, so he's four years old. Can you imagine a four-year-old reading, you know, reading about his superhero, reading about Batman, and, and there he is. Man, he's on the page with, with Batman. He's in the story with Batman. And the beautiful part of this story is Colin always does exactly what he should do. You know, you don't ever turn to a page and, wait a minute, Colin was supposed to be here, but he didn't show up. You know, he's never a no-show. He's never negligent. He never becomes a part of the problem. He obviously never becomes the enemy. He always does exactly what he should be and do in the story. Isn't that awesome? Of course, the author makes sure of that, right? That's the way the author writes the story. The ink's dry. That's not going to change. But here's the strange thing. As God brings us into the story... You know, from page to page, we have some freedom. That's a good thing. Freedom, right? But sometimes that freedom means we have a freedom to be a no-show. We have the freedom to be negligent. The freedom to trip and fall. Maybe even the freedom to, to become a part of the problem. So it's not, See, it's a little bit different when we're talking about a book like this and the ink's dry. Because the story God brings us into, the, the ink isn't dry just all the way in that sense. Oh, we're in the story. God's not going to lose us. But the role that we play in the story. And so as I move on from, from James 1.18 and we get to 19, what I see is James kind of saying, hey, God's brought you into this story. Now here's how you can cooperate. Here's how you can enjoy being a part of the story and being a part of seeing the page turned in, in the way that God wants it to. Let's see what James has for us in that. I'm going to begin Reading in verse 19, James 1, 19. It says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once he forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. You know, th th this passage to me is just so representative of, of how James writes. He just seems like he likes to powerfully pack these pithy little statements that just bowl us over. I mean, there are eight short verses, and I think I see at least four of these pithy little statements that can knock you right down. But folks, these statements are meant to absolutely shape how we live, how we relate day in and day out. Let me, let's see all four together real quickly. Faith in gear aims to listen more than it talks. Faith in gear knows my anger does... Not, that's the big word to grasp there, not, not ever, not in any time does my anger advance the story. Number three, hears 
Oh, it's good to hear. We need to hear. But hearing's not the goal. Doing is the goal. When faith is in gear, it's not just hearing, but it's trying to get to doing. And then lastly, I think my favorite one, faith in gear doesn't rant. It serves. Now, let's kind of see what each one of these means. Let's open up each one and kind of get a feel for it. And I I think as we open it up, it's going to sting a little bit. At least it does for me. These all hurt. These are all a a little bit tough. Let's look at that first one. Chapter 1, verse 19. Man, how simple is that statement right there? Hey, listen. Be, Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. It's short. It's sweet. Nothing there difficult to understand. You, you don't look at this and well, I just don't know quite what he means here. Very simple to understand. It's a wonderful idea. I, I think most people would read that and, and agree. I mean, are, are we going to look at that and say, no, that wouldn't work. No, I think that's a, that's a bad idea. No, we would look at that and say, yeah, that's, that's, that's probably how I should live. That, that probably would be better if we were, we were all doing that. And so we'll agree. Maybe we'll even set off to do this. And we will do it right up to the point that we really need to do it. And then we stop. I mean, I mean, folks, you know what? You don't do chapter one, verse 19 in an easy moment. You don't do chapter one, nine, verse 19 when everybody's celebrating your birthday party. Okay? You, you do chapter one, 19 when you don't want to do chapter one, 19. I mean, the moment there's anger, the moment there's conflict, that's when the ears get shut, the mouth gets engaged and we let it fly. Oh, I'll listen while I reload. You know, why why do we listen? I listen just enough to know where to attack you next. I listen just enough to know where the hole is in in what you're saying. And folks, if you look at 119 and just look at it and make it the opposite. Be quick to speak. Be slow to hear. Be quick to anger. Do you realize if if you take 119 and make it the opposite of what it's saying, that's what you and I do naturally every single day. I mean, it's what we know. I don't have to stop and tell myself, okay, what I want to do here is really, I just want to get my mouth moving. That's what I want to do. I don't really want to listen. I mean, I just want to show my, we don't have to stop and think that. It's automatic. We just do it. The opposite of 119 is what we naturally do. And that's where James is saying, hey, when you and I are doing what comes natural, when you and I are doing what comes automatic, it doesn't turn the page. It, it, it doesn't advance the story. You know, James' idea here, folks, is that you and I are listening. If you look at the vocabulary in this passage, you and I are listening so intently. We are so trying to get it. We're so trying to understand this person we disagree with. Remember who we're talking about. We're so trying to understand this person we disagree with that we could take their argument, we could take what they're saying, turn around and explain it to somebody else in a believable and convincing way. See, you can listen and get the the, the raw data. You, You can listen and get the idea, but that's just to blow holes in it, right? This is listening so that you could explain it to somebody else. And the point, by the way, is not to explain it to somebody else. The point is to serve them. You see, the idea here is such a level of understanding. I want to get around the conflict. I want to get around why you and I don't see eye to eye and maybe like each other in this moment. I want to get around behind that to where I can actually see what the need is. You know, there's a need here. There's something missing, and it's leading you to act and say in a way that maybe you shouldn't act and say, because it's sure not my fault, right? (laughs) But I want to get behind that so I can... I can serve you because, folks, the goal is not to win. The goal is to serve. Now, don't don't get freaked out by that. 
Our goal is not to win. I want to be clear here. Saying that faith is in gear, saying that I'm a follower of Christ, is not a lifetime commitment to lose every argument that you're in. Okay, that's, that's not what this is saying. You're now committed to losing. I'm just going to roll over and let wrongs be done and, and let everybody else be right. No, that, that's not what this is saying. It's saying that as I engage with this person and deal with this person, my first goal, my higher goal, whoever wins or loses, however this gets worked out, the first goal is to serve. Man, that's just, that's just crazy, isn't it? How difficult is that? You know, when I look at 119, I, I don't look at that and say, gosh, I just don't know what this means. Gosh, I just don't know how to do that. That's not my struggle. It's not what, it's not how. My struggle with 119 is why. Why? Why does, why does faith in gear mean I have to serve them? Who's serving me? Why does faith in gear mean I have to be so about getting their idea and what they're dealing? Why do I? Who's listening to me? I mean, we don't say that out loud, but it's what's going on, isn't it? Who's taking care of my story? Who's hearing me? Who's listening to me? Hey, what about the fact that an actual wrong has been done here? Who's going to correct that if I'm all about serving? Hey, you know what? That's a good question. Good questions. And do you know God actually cares? He cares about your questions. Those, those are very valid. And he wants to answer them. Listen to this. As a matter of fact, it, right there next to James 1.19, if that's your Bible, write down. As a matter of fact, even if it's not your Bible, write it down. They won't mind. Uh, write Romans 12.18-21. Right next to 1.19, write Romans 12.18-21. This is a, a tremendous companion passage. For me, these two passages kind of play ping pong. They just, they just kind of bounce back and forth, answering and helping each other in, in what's being communicated there. So we've just heard, okay, listen, here's what I want you to do. Be, be slow to speak, be quick to hear, uh, be slow to uh, being angry. Now let's hear what Romans twelve eighteen says. Romans twelve eighteen. if possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. Live at peace with everyone. Man, how in the world am I going to do that? Oh, here's an idea. Be quiet. Listen a whole lot more. And don't be so quick to get angry. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I guess that would do that, wouldn't it? Yeah, that, that would make it a lot more. But, but what about when actual wrongs have been done? I mean, there are wrongs going on, right? And, and those do need to get corrected. What about then? If I'm all about being quiet and listening, and who, who, what about the wrong? Okay, well, let's, let's answer that. Beloved, never. Now, folks, whatever I'm about to say, realize it just started off with never. So there's no exception. There's, there's no exception to what is about to be said. Never. Never what? Never avenge yourselves. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. That's my job. In this story, I've got the part of correcting wrongs. I've got the part of dealing with justice. You leave that to me. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Okay, well, okay. Okay, so if God is all about that, what am I supposed to do? I'm glad you asked. Verse 20. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Hey, what did we just hear James say? Hey, I want you listening so intently, you know how to serve. I want you listening so intently that you really get what's going on inside that person. Why? So you can serve them. 
See how these two passages kind of go back and forth? So the idea here, folks, what God is saying is with all the questions that come up with this kind of suggestion or command, is God is saying, hey, listen, I've got your story. And, and I am to trust, I am to trust that God is a God of justice. That he cares a lot more than me probably about justice being done, about wrongs being made right. And so I leave that in his hands and the part of the story I pick up is just simply serving right here. What a crazy idea, right? Who does this? Uh, well, I guess probably the idea is that followers of Christ do that, right? Let's look at the second idea. Okay, faith in gear. Faith in gear means we realize my anger doesn't ever advance the story. My anger never advances the story. Now, you know what? That statement really is not a second idea. It comes right out of the first one, right? Right? right, right. Be, be, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Why your anger? See, it all goes together. It's one, it's one point. I pull it out as a second point for this reason. I'm just so stunned by it. That, to me, is one of the truly stunning verses of the whole of Scripture. My, my anger does Are you kidding me? Yes, it does. My anger served my purposes very well in that moment. My, my anger helped me get my word out, helped me get my... Hey, it advanced my story. Man, my anger never advances the story. Now, you know, I keep using that word story. We throw that out there. You know, there might be a couple of ways you would describe this. This isn't meant to be a completely accurate cover-all theology kind of statement. But let me just throw something out there as the story. Here, here's the story God is telling. God is reclaiming this world from the evil that you and I plunged it into. And in the process of doing that, he's seeking to save you and me from that evil. And in that, then bring this world back to a place where it really experiences the joy, the power, the beauty, the meaning of living for his glory. That's the story God is telling. That's the story that is unfolding here. And my anger doesn't turn the page on that story. My anger does not advance that story. Now, folks, for me, this is one of these lines in Scripture where the second we read it, we leave it. The second we read it, we're looking for somewhere else to go. And what I mean by that is we start saying, what about? Well, well, well what about the fact that I'm angry about something that God is angry about? Well, what, what, what about biblical confrontation? What about biblical discipline? Well, you know, we immediately want to find the exception to this principle. But see the problem. And folks I'm not saying there's not some things to work out to discuss. I'm not saying there's not some other passages. But the problem is. We immediately run to somewhere else. And we baptize all of our anger. As belonging in one of these other places. Yeah. yeah your anger doesn't advance. As mine does. My anger's righteous. My anger's good. My anger's... I mean, there, there's... We always want to take it... So, hey, the principle's the principle. Your anger doesn't advance the story, period. You know, I, to me, a great story in Scripture that, that really unfolds this is a story that, that kind of evolves between Moses and God. And, and you, you know, if you know that story, you know Moses and God, they're tight, 
They're friends. I mean, Moses is referred to as a friend of God, kind of like in a way that nobody else ever had been. Moses is described as somebody who relates with God face to face. It was a metaphor communicating the intimacy and the closeness that they felt in that relationship. And, And so Moses is tight with God. But Moses has an anger problem, a little temper problem. That's not the biggest sin in the world, right? Everybody, you know, a little anger. But you see this thread run throughout their relationship. The very first moment that that Moses realizes he's the deliverer, that that God's calling him, God's put him in the story, and you're going to play this big role. Well, sometime shortly after that, you know, he's walking around, and he sees this, this Egyptian soldier beating this guy up, beating this Hebrew slave up, treating him wrong. And, and, and what does Moses feel? He, 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 would you not call that a righteous anger? He feels a righteous anger. There's an injustice here. This, is, this has got to be fixed. Now, he, he kills the guy, so I guess maybe that's a little bit of a problem. <laughs> but, you know, after that, what happens is he ends up in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, I see the sovereignty of God, trust the sovereignty of God such that that probably is a part of the story. But, but I wonder there, did, did Moses go offline Did he get off the page and now all of a sudden the page is not turning, you know, quite like it should. And and, and God incorporates that and and goes on with the story. But now all of a sudden he's out taking care of sheep for 40 years. And so you go on in the story, especially as you get into the latter part of Exodus and you get into Numbers. And you keep seeing Moses' anger pop up. But here's the strange thing. You don't ever hear a story of of Moses' anger because the lawnmower didn't start. Or, or because he was in a bad mood. And God, his anger always seems to be what I would call righteous anger. You know, he's angry at God's people because they're just, man, they mumble and they grumble and they're divided and they got, well, they'll turn away from the Lord as fast as anything. I mean, the wind blows and they'll turn from God. And Moses gets angry with this and gets frustrated with it. But now here's the strange part of the story. God gets angry with it too. As a matter of fact, in, in kind of a different dialogue, especially when you're trying to understand the whole of Scripture and what God is like, you see God getting angry and says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to kill them all. I'm going to kill the entire nation. Moses, I'll start all over with you. We'll, we'll get this whole story going over with you. And, in, and this is what I mean is kind of strange. You almost really in that story, and probably not the best way for me to kind of present God, but you almost see Moses talking God back off the ledge. No, God, you, can, you can't kill them all. You can't, you can't do that. And so, you know, God shows anger. But then we come to a, a part of the story that for me is, is it's one of the places, and I, I don't say this out loud a whole lot, certainly not from the pulpit, where I say, God, that's not fair. That, that doesn't seem right. You see Moses, again, reacting in anger at, at the people and what they're doing. God's angry also. He says, okay, Moses, go, go do this. And Moses goes out there doing exactly what God told him to do, but his anger got mixed in with that. And so he goes out there, he was told to strike a rock and, or to speak to a rock. And he goes out and strikes it, bangs it. And, and, and he's, and he's kind of, and I got a little more for you guys. I got a little lesson you need to learn right here. And God said, hey, wait a minute. I didn't ask you to present me that way. I didn't ask you to add that extra little bit of lesson. And he says, Moses, we've been talking about your anger for a long time. And that's it. You're not going into the promised land. What? Who's done more than Moses? 
Who's been more faithful than Moses? Anger, that's a small, it's not even a big one, Lord. And he loses the promised land because of that. And, and then see, then what I want to do is I want to say, hey God, wait a minute, you were angry for the same reason. Man, you were ready to kill them all. And all of a sudden, and folks, I was just thinking of this yesterday morning. I'm out walking. <laughs> Already written my sermon. And all of a sudden, this is when James 1 came together for me. This is when this story between Moses and God came together. See, I'm saying that's not fair because I'm equating Moses' anger and I'm equating God's anger as being roughly the same thing. Which, of course, my anger, God's anger, same thing. Folks, that's not an apples to apples comparison. Even when you and I have righteous anger, we rarely demonstrate it perfectly, even halfway rightly. Our anger doesn't fix it. God's anger, when expressed, is done perfectly. It's done the perfect way, in the perfect time, and it always accomplishes the perfect results. So we can't compare and say, well, you know, why did you get mad at Moses? He wasn't doing anything different than you. Because God said, your part of the story is not your anger. Your responsibility in this story is not vengeance. That job's mine. I own that one because you guys almost always do it wrong. So that's not yours. That's mine. Your part of the story, serve. You serve, you let me take care of of the justice. Man, here again, I come to the end of that point, and I just want to say, man, that's crazy. <laughs> Who can do this? Let's move on. Okay, third point. Faith in gear. Here's, man, we got to hear, but it seeks to do. You know, I actually made the, a little bit of this point last week. You know, usually when I'm preaching one sermon, I've already started writing the other, and so my points start running together, and I get excited about next week's point, and I pull it into this week's point, and I did that last week. Did you get that? And so, you know, I made the point a little bit about how you and I, we, we, can, come to, we can come to church, we can come to a, a life group class, maybe we're in a, in a Bible study. And, and it's easy for us, if we've been at this any amount of time, pretty soon we're going to start opening the Bible and say, I've heard this. I, 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 I already know this story. And when you and I hear things we've already heard, I mean, one of two things is going to happen. One, we're going to get annoyed, right? You got anybody in your life that tells you the same story over and over? I'm sure we all do. You know, you roll your eyes, I, I know. I said, really, do you think I've not heard this? You know, so we get a little annoyed. Now, the other thing we do, and I'm, we do this 100% of the time when we start here, I already know, is we just check out. We, just, yeah, we might give a courtesy smile. <laughs> you know, but, but really what we're doing is we're checking out. Why? Because I already know. I don't need you to rehearse the details with me again. I, I already know the narrative. And, and so we, we check out. Yeah, yeah, I know. This, yeah, Moses walks up. It's a burning bush. God's apparently in the bush. That's why the bush doesn't burn. It's on holy ground. I think it was on Mount Sinai. Yeah, I know that story. I already know that one. Oh, yeah, I know that story. Yeah, Jesus is, or, or the disciples are on the uh, Sea of Galilee, and there's a storm, and Jesus comes walking to them on the water. That's cool. I want a God that does cool tricks, right? Yeah, I know that story. But, but folks, are we ever wondering, why is the story there. You see, the value of going to the story uh, again and again and again, folks, whether we're sitting in worship or we're in a Bible study or maybe I'm just opening up and reading the Bible by myself, is to give myself opportunity over and over and over to be challenged by the story. 
You, you see, the value of reading a story or hearing a story for the ninth time, the tenth time, the thirty-seventh time is because it gives me a ninth time, a tenth time, a thirty-seventh time to evaluate if that story's actually landed in my heart. If I've actually got from that story what, what's supposed to be gotten. Hey, let me see. I think I heard this story about eight months ago. Did anything change the last eight months? Am I, am I doing anything with this? Hey, we all know this. My gosh, is there any stories we've all heard more than the Christmas stories, right? I mean, you don't even have to be a follower of Christ to know there's these three wise guys that cross a continent. And they're all bringing gifts of what? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Everybody knows that story. Man, it's hard to preach Christmas stories. You just know the whole congregation. I've heard this. <laughs> Why did God tell us the story? Do you, you ever realize how much is going on around the entrance of Christ into the world that we're not told? So see, not everything's in the scripture, which means that what's in there is in there on purpose. Why is God telling me this little piece of Jesus entering into the world? What am I supposed to learn? What am I supposed to know? What am I supposed to do? Because these three guys crossed the continent and gave Jesus these gifts. What am I to be doing with that? Oh, here's one I heard in the Bible. Did y'all ever heard there's a verse somewhere in the Bible that says something about be, be, be quick to hear, slow to speak. Are you doing that? You know, I'm guessing for a lot of, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm guessing for a lot of us in here, today's not the first time we've ever heard James 1.19. As a matter of fact, I bet some of us in here have heard it more times than we can count. Are you doing it? Because what I understand James to be saying here is not a lot of blessing in hearing the pastor read James 1.19. Not a lot of blessing in you going home and, oh, you know, your, your Bible reading today brings you to James 1.19. Are you doing it? And see, the fact is, folks, we do forget, don't we? We forget we heard that story. We forget what its point was. And I need to come by James 1.19 actually a whole bunch and be reminded, oh, yeah, I have read that. Gosh, yeah, I said I was going to change. I said I was going to. You see, I, I, every time I come by here, it gives me that opportunity. The goal's doing. Why? Because that's where the blessing is. The blessing for you. That's what James wants for you. Not a condemnation. He's not scolding you. He wants a blessing for you in this. Let's look at the, the last one. Faith in gear doesn't rant but it serves. Now, I would imagine with these first three, you could see pretty clearly where I was taking that from. Yeah, it says that here, it says that. You might be looking at this fourth one and going, where's he getting that from? Okay, you look at verse 26. It says, you and I got to work on bridling this tongue. Now, ranting, bridling the tongue is about a whole lot more than just ranting. Bridling the tongue is about, it's about ranting, it's about lying, it's about swearing, it's about dirty jokes, it's about... Uh, gossip, it's about slander, it's about exaggeration, it's about all of these things that the tongue does that keeps the page from turning, that keeps the story from advancing. I pulled ranting out as one of the things that the tongue does because it just really, for me, it just kind of seemed to fit the flow of the whole passage. We're clearly de dealing with anger. We're clearly dealing with what to do in, in a moment that's difficult and the story's not unfolding the way I would like. And, and, and so, folks, here's the bottom line. Faith in gear doesn't rant. Think about what we're doing when we rant. We're, we're kind of keeping our anger on a low boil, aren't we? We're, we're keeping it stirred up. I could have forgotten it. I could have moved on. But I don't want to. 
I kind of like my anger and I kind of like what I'm angry about right now. And so I just kind of keep talking about it. I keep rehearsing it. And of course, when I'm ranting, when we use the word ranting, I mean, you could be walking around your house just kind of ranting to yourself. But normally when we're ranting, we're letting others know, right? We're inviting others to come and join our anger. Listen, you want to come join me in hating this person, in hating this situation as much as I do. And so we're inviting that. Hey, wait a minute. Wasn't this about last week's sermon? Didn't last week we learn about temptation? And so now here I've got a here I've got a passage that says, listen, I don't want you really running the road of your anger. I don't want you quick to get on that road and see how far you don't really don't want you being angry. And yet now here I am. I'm inviting you to come join me in my anger. I'm now tempting you to do what God has told you not to do. Remember last week we said that, you know, the baits on one or, or, or my desires on one side, the, the, the choice I make for sin. And then there's debate in the middle. Now, if you lead somebody into anger, that's, that's a desire they built in their life. That's their sin. But you became the bait. Now, folks, follow this. This is kind of strange how this all comes together, for me anyway. If I'm not a part of telling God's story, whose story am I a part of telling? Who wants me to invite you into my anger and get all stirred up like I am? Does God want that or does Satan Man, this is a lot worse than I've gotten off the same page with God. I've gotten back onto the same page with Satan. I'm now tempting somebody to come and stir up what clearly God does not want stirred up in their lives. Man, folks, faith and gear doesn't rant. We got too much good news. Man, you know, whatever goes on this week, I've been saved. I've been saved from sin and death and hell. And there might be some real significant issues between me and somebody else or me and the country or me and the whole world. But it's temporary. My eternity's been taken care of and my eternity's all good. And you know what there is? Hey, there's a reason we rant. There's a lot going on bad in the world. But the God I know, the God I serve, the God I love and worship, he's sovereign. And there's nothing happening in the world this week that he won't end up taking and making it work toward his glory and his purposes. There's nothing outside of his control. So I'm still at good news. I mean, yeah, we can praise God for that. Go ahead. We're still at good news. But we, we forget that when we're outside of church, right? I mean, we get out there and the bad news is flying and we're shocked. Aren't we shocked? Hey, here's a news flash, folks. We live in a fallen world filled with sinners who are going to act like, are you ready for this? They're going to act like sinners. Good Lord, folks, what do you expect to happen this week? Expect the bad. Expect sinners to act like sinners. Of course they're going to do that. So instead of ranting about the absolute obvious, go fix something. Go fix, go fix anything. Go fix somebody's water faucet. Go give somebody $5. Go tell somebody they're good looking. G go give somebody some good news. Now, I think as you do this, and I'm really, I'm kind of drawing in a, a, an idea from Scripture, not necessarily from James 1. But if we say with that idea, okay, go out there and fix something, anything. I think James says, and as you go to do that, man, keep an eye out for those who can't fix anything. Because they're out there. You know, and he draws our attention to the widow and the orphan. You know what? It's always difficult to be a widow 
or an orphan. But James is writing to a culture in which being a widow or an orphan is more than difficult. It's more than hard. It's dangerous. In that culture, under that way things work, then you're a widow, you're an orphan, you're a target. And so kind of hear scripture, kind of hear James say, hey, yeah, there is a lot of bad going on out there. There is a lot of bad news. So go make something good today. And boy, keep an eye out for the abused. Keep an eye out for the abandoned. Keep an eye out for those that are getting taken advantage of. Man, yes, absolutely. Go help your friend in the middle of the night. Be good news in their life. Go, go do something good for your child, for your mate. Hey, go do something good. At work. But really, keep an eye out also. Particularly keep an eye out for those who can't make anything better. Who can't fix anything. See, that's just what faith in gear does. We make things better. We don't keep stirred up about things that are wrong. You know, folks, I, I, I wish I'd have gotten a picture of that time Colin saw himself there in the story as a four-year-old. Eyes shot up real big. You know, it actually, on the first page, it, again, I think I said this, it, it puts both his first name and his last name. So he knows this is about him. Man, it's exciting. You know what? He was already in love with Batman. He was already in awe of Batman. But when he was identified with Batman, when he saw himself on the same page as Batman, I'll tell you something, the love and awe went to a whole brand new level. And folks, that opportunity is there for you and me. Not, not, uh, not with Batman, no. With God. There's an opportunity. Yeah, man, we're loved by God and, and he brings us into his love and he brings us into salvation. But, but he's bringing us into a story that he's telling. And, and he's inviting you and me. And I could be in love and all with him, but, but an opportunity to see myself working with God. Coming along and being a part of, of advancing his story. And to me, that really helps me read James 1, 19 through 26. You know, I can, I can read a lot of passages in the Bible, a lot of commands, and say, yeah, I try to do that. Yeah, I, I, I do that a lot. Um, could work a little bit on that, but I get it sometimes. I'll tell you something, though. I come to James 1.19 and, and, and following, and I think, dang, I don't do any of this. I don't, I, don't, I don't do any of this at all. But it's worse than that. I don't want to do any of this. Not when I'm angry. Not, not when I don't, I don't want to do this. And so, you know, you can read a passage like this, and on one level, it can just be filled with guilt. Filled with failure. Man, I mean, I mean, this is just James scolding me and telling me what an awful Christian I am. But, but what if James' goal here is not to show me what an awful Christian I am? What if James' goal here is just to show me, hey man, here's some ways you can get on the same page with God. Here's some ways your life can become a part of turning the page, advancing the story. You know what, folks, if I do this once or twice in a lifetime... <laughs> Probably not going to make a big difference, is it? Yeah, I did this once. 1980. <laughs> Probably not going to make a big difference. If, if I do these things once or twice a year, I'm trying. Read James 1 through 119 through 26 this week. I'll try this week. I land on that once or twice a year. You know what? Probably still not going to make a huge difference. Probably make a difference in that moment. Might make a difference in that situation you're dealing with that person. But, but if you and I could see this as, as a way to live, 
If you and I were to start living this way day in and way out. Now, folks, here, here's why this is so hard. There's no opportunity to live this way except when you don't want to live this way. But if we could do this day in and day out, do you know what's going to happen? Everybody around you is going to see that you're on the same page as God. Now, that's kind of cool if that's my wife or one of my friends or the people I go to church with. But, but folks, I'm convinced that if I'm really seeking to live this way, it's not just my best friends and people who love me that are going to see that I'm on the same page as God. So are my enemies. So are the people that, that I'm in disagreement with at this moment. If that's what I'm really doing. And you know what's going to happen, folks? Not all of the time. We live in a fallen world, and that's just not going to be the case. Not all of the time, but folks, sometimes when you are consistently on the same page as God, your enemy might just end up on the same page as God. Man, folks, you know about... I think about the only thing that can be more exciting than to look down in the story and see that God has written me into the story. I think about the only thing that could be as exciting as that is that to see that through that, God brought my enemy into the story. God brought that person I disagree with into the story. Because when that happens, do you realize what we just described? The righteousness of God just turned the page. The righteousness of God just advanced. What James 1 is showing us is how we get to be a part of that. It's not easy. The time to do it is when you don't want to do it. But that's what's going to turn the page. And advance God's story. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know this is a, a set of ideas, some commands that uh, the only opportunity we have to do these things is in the very moments that we don't want to do them. God, every person in this room is going to have opportunity to do, to do James 1, 19 through 26 this week. We, most of us won't have to travel much more in two or three days from something we see on the news to, to something we experience at work, maybe to something that goes on right inside our house. God, I, I would ask on behalf of everyone in here that as we attempt to do this, God, would you give us that blessing you talked about there? Lord, we want to have the faith to do this, whether a little trinket and prize follows it or not. But Lord, I do pray for a trinket. I do pray for a surprise. God, I, I pray that as we set out to do this, that there'll be evidence that your word works, that you'll help us to do this. Give us wisdom. Lord, I didn't even talk about today, but boy, right in the middle of that passage, it says it takes meekness. For this word to get planted in our hearts. Because God there's so much pride and arrogance. We're so convinced that what we're angry about. Others need to be angry about. We're so convinced that I need to be heard on this. That my words are what's going to fix this. God help us break through that pride and arrogance. And just in humility. Let you be God. You take care of your part of the story. 
And let us humbly accept the part of the story you've called us to. To serve their need. Oh Lord, you, I don't have to say this out loud in prayer. You know for every one of us how much help we need at this. And so we just pause in prayer and we ask for that help. Help us this week as we go to do what your words called us to do. And God, I pray we will see, whether it's this week or years in the future, we're going to see that by living this way, you're bringing people into your righteousness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.